0: If for the prize we have striven, after our labors are, old, then rest to our souls will begin given on that eternal shore at the high. Welcome back to Sid's Notebook. I'm your host, Delano. This podcast complements my blog, Sid's Notebook, at sidsnotebook.wordpress.com, where I post essays that are based on my personal Bible studies. I deal with doctrinal issues and explore topics that pertain to Christian living. I use this podcast to expand more on certain topics that I write about for am longing for the beautiful home by the riverside, the green hills. Hi, I've decided to title this episode "Baptism of No Avail." And it's based on Romans chapter 2 verses 25 to 29. If you go to my blog at sidsnotebook.wordpress.com, you'll see a commentary in which I discuss Romans chapter 2 verses 17 to 29. I brought up in that commentary a couple of doctrinal issues that I'll mention in this episode. Also on my blog, you'll find an essay called Dishonoring God's Name, which is what I want to talk about as I start off the discussion of the text for this episode. The point that I make in the essay is that Christians must be always aware of their conduct because as God's people... We have to be a light to the world. We have to spread the gospel of Christ and teach people the way to justification through faith in Jesus Christ. If we have knowledge of God's word, which is the source for living a godly life, our conduct has to align with it. We can't be like the scribes and Pharisees who taught the law but didn't abide by it. We read about that in Matthew chapter twenty-three. Jesus called these scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. If we do as they did, we could also be charged with hypocrisy and cause, and we could cause the lost to move farther away from God instead of moving closer to Him. This is the main understanding and application that I get from Romans chapter 2, 17 to 24. Which brings us now to the main text of this episode, verses 25 to 29, which I want to read for you. It says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the law or keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised if he fulfills the law judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Now, starting at verse 25, Paul connects the hypocrisy of the Gentiles With the right of circumcision. He says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. We need to understand what circumcision is. In Genesis chapter 17, we read that God made a covenant with Abraham. And part of that covenant was that God would make Abraham a father of many nations, and he would give him the land of Canaan. Starting at verse 2, it says, And I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Also part of the covenant was the rite of circumcision that Abraham had to perform on all males. Verse 9 reads, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. When God led the Israelites... Out of slavery from Egypt, in instituting the Passover, he also commanded that all men living among the people be circumcised. We read about that in Exodus chapter 12, and I'm going to start at verse at verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord... Let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Notice that both natives and foreigners had to be circumcised, If they were going to live among the Israelites and participate in the different regulations found in the law. Going back to Genesis 17, starting at verse 10, it says, Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And then we read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14 and then 48 and 49, It says, this is the ordinance of the Passover, no foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. And 48, and when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then... Let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Circumcision served as a sign of the covenant. We read that. In Genesis 17 verse 11, it says a sign of the covenant between me and you. A covenant is an agreement or a contract. Normally, a contract is affirmed with a signature or even a handshake. This right signifies that you agree with the conditions of the contract and that you will abide by them. The condition that Abraham and the Israelites had to abide by was being blameless and walking by faith and obedience to God. God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 verses 1 and 2, I am almighty God Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham's faith and obedience to God was counted to him as righteousness, and therefore he was justified in the eyes of God. That's to say that he abided by the conditions of the covenant of which circumcision was the sign. All of this is laid out by Paul in Romans chapter 4, which I'll get to in a few weeks as we continue to walk through the book of Romans. Now, the problem is that the Israelites as a whole did not abide by the conditions of the covenant. We read throughout the Old Testament of how they practice all types of sins, especially idolatry which is a topic that I spoke about in a previous episode. And as a result, God allowed them to be taken into slavery by different nations. Paul enumerates in Romans chapter 1 all the unrighteous practices that the people were involved in. Since they didn't abide by the conditions of being blameless before God and living by faith and obedience, There. are Un- their circumcision became null and void. Let's go back to the concept of a covenant. We define the covenant as an agreement or a contract. We said that a contract is usually affirmed with some kind of right, whether it be a written signature or even a handshake. The right indicates that both parties agree to the conditions and that they'll abide by them. Now, if one of the two parties does not abide by the conditions, that is, he fails to perform the obligations that are in the contract, the agreement is abrogated or it's annulled regardless of the signature, or whatever formality that was used to affirm the agreement. The contract becomes as if it were never signed. In that sense, the signature becomes null and void, and the person who committed the breach of contract receives a consequence. In Romans chapter 2, verse 25, Paul reveals that the right of circumcision becomes uncircumcision because there's a breach of contract. If you break the law, it doesn't matter if you are circumcised. You still broke the law and you suffer the consequences for it. The circumcision in and of itself does not save you from the consequence. He's saying this to the Jewish person and particularly to the Jewish Christian who thinks he's justified simply because he's circumcised. Some biblical examples show us that circumcision did not protect anyone if they broke the law. The man who broke the Sabbath in Numbers chapter 15, verse 35, was put to death. In Joshua chapter 7, Akan was stoned for stealing the accursed things that were among the people of Jericho. The man in Numbers 15 and Akan in Joshua 7 were circumcised men who were condemned for breaking the law. Circumcision didn't save them. Paul then says in verse 26 that if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? The uncircumcised were the Gentiles. Paul is saying here that if a Gentile keeps the righteous requirements of the law, he is justified as if he were circumcised. That is, as if he were a Jew. Does this mean that circumcision was unnecessary? I don't believe so. I already mentioned earlier that according to Genesis chapter 17 and Exodus chapter 12, a Gentile had to be circumcised in order to live among the Israelites and participate in Passover. However, generally, circumcision was not required for Gentiles. The covenant was between God and the Israelites. If a Gentile wasn't living with the people of God, He didn't have to be circumcised, but he was obligated to live righteously because he was bound by God's universal moral law. Paul explains this in Romans chapter 1 when he says in verses 19 and 20, Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. He also says in Romans chapter 2, verse 14, For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. A good example uh, would be Cornelius, who was an uncircumcised man. He was a Gentile, and he was a God-fearer. He gave alms and prayed to God always. We read about this in Acts chapter 10. He was better off than a circumcised Jew who did none of these things, and being circumcised broke God's law. That's why Paul asks in verse 27, And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? But notice that Cornelius was not saved just for doing the things that he did. He had to be in Christ. That is, the Gentile fulfills the law in Christ because he receives a spiritual circumcision. Paul says in verses 28 and 29 For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Now, let's sit here for a moment. In my commentary of this passage, I say that people use verses 25 to 28 To deny the essentiality of baptism for salvation. They take Paul's argument that circumcision can become uncircumcision and vice versa and apply it to baptism. They say that these verses show us that an unbaptized believer can be justified by God. However, Paul does not teach here necessarily that Gentiles were justified without circumcision. What we can derive from the passage is that Gentiles were justified without physical circumcision. Gentiles, and Jews for that matter, are justified by God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This is the gospel, and within the teachings of the gospel, we learn that there must be a spiritual circumcision, because circumcision is of the heart. When are we spiritually circumcised? Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, in him, that is in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That means it's a circumcision that's not physical, it's a spiritual circumcision. Put it, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, when does this happen? When Do we have the spiritual circumcision that puts off the body of the sins of the flesh? It says it in verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So when you are buried with him in baptism, you are made alive and your sins are forgiven. And that is the spiritual circumcision. That is the circumcision of Christ. So Paul is not denying the essentiality of baptism in Romans 2, 25-28, but rather he's affirming it. Because baptism is the spiritual circumcision in which you are made alive and you receive forgiveness of sins. Without those things, we cannot be saved. And so baptism has to be essential. What can we take from this? I believe the main point is expressed in verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Being a Jew or being a child of God, was never about heritage, circumcision, or being quote-unquote religious. Look at what Moses said to the Israelites regarding the requirements of God in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 to 21. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality Nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast, and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Being a child of God is not based only on the outward appearance. It's not based on just the rituals or the performances. Being a child of God is a matter of the heart. He looks on the heart when God sent Samuel to choose David from among Jesse's sons to be king, Samuel was focused on the outward appearance. However, God was looking on the inside. As Christians, we must understand that God is looking at our hearts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says that when the Lord returns, he will Reveal the counsels of our hearts, and our praise will come from God. We are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. That's Philippians chapter 3 verse 3. When John says, walk in the light as he is in the light, He's not talking about doing everything perfect or doing all the rituals. He's referring to a state of mind, an attitude of humbly striving to do what's right in the sight of God and understanding that we're unprofitable servants. That's a matter of the heart. Yes, there are things that we must do. There are certain acts that the Lord requires of us. However, if we're just concerned with the form and not the substance, then we're lacking. If we think, for example, that baptism by itself is what's going to save us, then we are lacking. We must have faith and baptism. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, that he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Not just belief, not just baptism. You have to have both or else baptism will be of no avail. So let's not be like the Jews and think just because we're religious and we've checked off all the boxes that we can live any way we want and escape the judgment of God. And those who are not in the church, those who are not in Christ, shouldn't think just because they're quote-unquote good that they won't be held responsible for not living according to the commandments and the righteousness of God. I hope we can all examine ourselves and truly think about the condition Of our hearts. That's all I have for you today. Thanks for tuning in on Sid's Notebook. Please feel free to contact me if you have any questions, comments, or feedback. Also, please let me know if you have any suggestions for topics that you would like me to discuss. I can be reached um, on Twitter and Instagram. Just search my handle at Sid's Notebook, or you can email me at Notebook at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Talk to you soon. God bless.